I want to turn you to what I trust is a rather familiar passage to you in Hebrews chapter 13. I trust not so familiar that it becomes commonplace. That should never be, of course, with the word of God. But it's a promise found here that is grand and glorious indeed for all who are in Christ. A glorious promise that will never fail and is blessed indeed in whatever condition and situation we find ourselves in. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 5 and 6, the apostle writes, Let your conversation be without covetousness. Conversation here means the bent of your life and the way you outlive it, as was used in Old English. Uh, I love the authorized version, and it is not that difficult to understand the few words here and there when, when they're understood. We have a more precise translation than you will find in any others whatsoever. And we'll deal with something that, uh, with that within the context. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. What a glorious promise. You find it Throughout scripture, of course, not only here. All you've got to do is begin meditating a bit. Moses, given a tremendous task. He's got to go into the mightiest monarch on the face of the earth and say, let my people go. He says, I'm slow of speech and a slow tongue. He felt his complete inadequacy. So God says to him, what? Go and I will be with thee. Joshua goes into Canaan. He is to take a ragtag group of people and go against seven nations in the land of Canaan. What does God say to him? Meditate day and night in my word. He's to have the word of God as his guide. And he says... Whithersoever thou goest, I will be with thee. You find it throughout Scripture, of course. And it's a special promise to me. I think I've told you before, the second time I preached publicly. First time, I'm going to let everybody have it. Second time, Lord, do you really want me to go? And to my heart was impressed the great promise, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. I don't know of a more grand and glorious promise personally for our life and our walk with the Lord than this one. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. It's very, very strong in the Greek as several negatives, I will never, 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 etc. It is very strong. So what greater comfort could we ever find? And what higher joy to lift us in times of sorrow, what better medicine to strengthen our inner being in times of sickness, what greater peace in times of opposition and warfare against sin within and without, in trial, in burden, in grief, than that which we find in our text. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. We sing a hymn, singing at the end of this message, based upon a great promise in Isaiah. God promises, I am with thee. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee. 
with all the things we fear could come upon us, with all of the dread of the unknown, mixed with plans and hopes and aspirations. We are to have those aspirations to live for the glory of God, to give ourselves to him in a yearning to be an instrument to his honor and to the good of others. What greater promise is there then to quell the fears that are often mixed with hope? The promise is sure. It's more firm than the continuance of the heaven and the earth. And the applications faith may make of it are far more numerous than ever we could bring out in one message. Do the trials abound? Seeming maybe as Jacob of old, by the way, whom God promised to be with and bring him back to his own homeland after his brother had purposed to kill him and he was sent to his uncle's home out of the land. Many trials followed, but God said, I'll bring you back. And God did what he said he would do and he was with him. The God of Jacob is with us the psalmist says. So, Jacob at one time had to cry out, all these things are against me. Everything is negative. It's all negative. Nothing's happening good. Everything is against me. When God was working for the greater good, even the salvation of his sons. Then, Here is not simply a promise. We have an infallible truth. And as I trust, we shall find the greatest of encouragement in what to human sight may appear to be only discouraging. God is preparing you, dear believing saint. You who have come as poor and needy sinners to look away from yourself, to look to Christ and him crucified, to lay hold of the gloriousness of the grace of God in salvation. You, dear believing one, God is preparing you for far greater things, far greater things than the things of this world, greater than the release from temporary trouble in a troubling world. He has a process going on and he's not finished with it yet. He has a work he's doing. That work shall end in your perfect character. It will bring you into an eternal inheritance which all in this world will seem as nothing. And all trials as nothing. He's forming in you the very image of his own son. And in all of this process, sometimes feeling as if maybe it's your destruction, yet it's being done for your greater glorious good and through it all. Your God has given you a promise to keep you to be with you through the fire, to keep your head above the floodwaters. And it couldn't be more firm. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Think upon it. Lay it to heart. Pray that it may never slip from your mind. May its light never be darkened in you. Even when human sight works hard to distract you and depress you and lead you away from this promise. Here's our solid hope. Here is our day by day strength. While we know not what a day may bring forth. Here's food for your soul. 
your food to strengthen your heart. And may God so plant it in your heart and mind that it shall but grow and enable us to bear fruit to the glory of God. The God who is with you. Well, as we look into these verses, in verse 5 of Hebrews 13, let your conversation be without covetousness. Of course, we read that in the Decalogue. Thou shalt not covet. But these commands are also under the new covenant. <laughs> We're not to covet. And yet, the motive to exempt ourselves from this sin of covetousness is not a law motive. It's a gospel motive that we shall endeavor to explain. It's the gospel that now governs our keeping of God's commands. We don't go to Sinai. Sinai, where the law was given, has its fearful threats. Stay away from here. You'll die if you come any closer. Sinai sends forth its loud thunders and its warning. You cannot come to God this way. Its stern warning is to keep away. You've sinned and cannot come near God. He's holy. He will not forgive your sins. He will not forgive your transgressions. So that this place is fenced up against you. The law cannot cleanse you. It can only make known the reason you need cleansing. The sin that has brought the separation between God and you. By the law is the knowledge of sin. However God is pleased by the work of his spirit to take that law and convict or through it already in the conscience that is placed in man by nature. God brings us to see what we are. That we've sinned against him. He breaks us with the law. He doesn't heal us with it. The law is in the way for us. It presents an impassable barrier between you and God. It cannot give you life. It can only declare the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The threats of law cause you not to come to God, but to flee from him. Like Adam, hiding amongst the trees of the garden. But you'll notice in our verse 5 of Hebrews, no threats are given. Not a threat. No stern, if you live in covetousness, you're going to suffer punishment. God will turn his face from you and you'll suffer. No, you don't find that type of warning. In Hebrews 13, verse 5. No. No, indeed. The argument, the command not to live in covetousness, not to have your heart on this world and acquiring all you can get from it. The command is on gospel ground, not legal ground. It's drawn from the blessed truth, if you please, of free grace. And comes with the promise, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Sinai, with its severe warnings and its death threats, that caused you to flee to another hill. That hill is Calvary. Where God did not say, there, stay away from me. But rather, in Christ, he says, come unto me. What a glorious reality. The law says, stay away. 
You're going to die. The gospel says, come unto me. The Lord of the gospel says, come unto me. The old covenant law covenanted with Israel of old, God says, stay away. It's fenced off. You can't come this far. The law of Christ's kingdom, there are multitudes before him. And he gives life. How glorious indeed. Did his justice necessitate your death? His love paid the price that was owed. His son took your place, removed the barrier, and called you, come unto me. For he had chosen to love you, to cleanse you from all sin, to remove the barrier between you and him. Because according to his own will that we cannot begin to comprehend, and I can't, he loved the vilest of sinners. <laughs> and sent his son to save them. As Paul in Colossians 2.14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. That was against us. Which was contrary to us. And took it out of the way. Nailing it to his cross. The Lord paid the debt. The debt has been paid for sinners. And those who are called by the gospel of his son. Their sins are put away. As far as the east is from the west. Never to be brought up judicially against them. For there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that glorious? Oh, we have a wondrous gospel. Glorious indeed. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us. As in Galatians 3.13. And not only that, dear believing saint. He has provided for you a righteousness that you didn't earn. Nor could ever earn. He puts to your account the very righteousness of his son. He sees you in Christ. He sees you now having Christ as your head. Whereas Adam was. Only by being brought to believe him. To come to him. To drink freely the water of life. To come to the one who's in the last day of one of the feasts said, come and drink. Come and take the water of life. And we're to take it freely. Love. Love. A love drawn from his. That's now the motive of the gospel that moves us to keep his commandments the gospel that moves us to keep the commands of God not the law the gospel this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous that's in 1 John 5 verse 3 we'll get there as we study through that incredibly significant epistle how could you and I not love him? And love him above all others. How could you not love him if you've come to realize he gave himself for you? He took all that you deserved from the justice of God and paid the debt for you. He suffered everything that you should have suffered in eternity. If you've come to embrace such a glorious love, if you can say with John, the apostle 
we know and believe the love that God hath to us. If that is comprehended in your soul, how could things ever replace him in your heart? You see, that's covetousness, getting the heart on the things of this world and the things of this life and its joys and its pleasures. And it takes the place that belongs to the living God. How could that be if you truly embrace the gloriousness of a love that redeemed you from all sin and secures for you a heavenly inheritance that shall never fade away? Learn well of his love. Learn it. It's a sovereign love. He loved you because he was pleased to do so. That's what we're taught in Scripture. Not because of anything you are worthy of or I'm worthy of. No more than anybody ever born in the world. And had he not loved you and had he not chosen you and had he not called you by the gospel, you would have perished. Learn well his love. Study it. Make it your soul's chief treasure. Look always and only to the love that loved you so deeply and so completely, so eternally, that the highest price was given to make you his own, that he wanted you. No threat here. <coughs> promise. A promise so great to a soul truly redeemed from sin. To one set free indeed from all condemnation. That's huge. And one that draws the soul keep his word and to keep it with joy for he hath said I will never leave thee nor forsake thee this promise this promise so sure that it's put for your taking in God's infallible word infallible not simply only without error cannot be any error it is given from God it's infallible this promise is not based upon what you do it's based only upon the grace of God alone and it's to be believed and it's to be cherished it is the promise of he who cannot lie. It's drawn from the scripture of truth. It's God's own word. The living God. The faithful God. And sooner would the heavens fall than one word of God fall to the ground. Easier for heaven and earth to pass, said the Lord Jesus, than one tittle of the law to fail. The smallest particle of the Hebrew language and lettering. The promise given to Moses, Joshua, Jacob, Solomon, Jeremiah. Jeremiah facing a hostile crowd that wanted to kill him. I will be with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord to him. The promise dispersed throughout all scripture. As solid to us as was to them. Be much in the scriptures. Learn to love the word of God. More important than your television. It's more important than your computer. It's more important than these other things. They can take your heart and come under this thing of covetousness. <laughs> the word of God. 
That's more precious than gold and sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. The word of God. The God whom you can trust, who speaks and gives the truth, for he is the truth. The word of God to be believed, to be put in your heart, to be memorized, to quote often to yourself. No little thing. You go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, God said, put it in your house. Put it where you can see it. Put it before you. Keep the word of God before you. Day by day, every day. Get up in the morning and start thinking upon it. I'm reminded of what it was said of Arthur Pink when he was a young man. He would go to work. In the morning, he would memorize one verse of Scripture. Throughout the day at work, he would think upon, meditate, make application of that verse of Scripture. Read his writing. They're loaded <laughs> with the word of God. He had a treasure supreme. Here's food for your soul to strengthen you. To keep you in spiritual health. So that you can walk in newness of life and run the race with patience here's the saint's joy the light that overcomes the darkness of this fallen world that enabled a weeping prophet to meet his sorrows with a rejoicing that defies human reason thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Look at the promise. Think upon it. I will never leave thee. Nor forsake thee. You know, it's one thing to give a broad promise. It's another thing to give a promise to an individual. This promise, we can learn from this translation that God has blessed for all these hundreds of years. This promise is personal. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You see, that's singular. You could say you, it could be talking about everybody. But in our translation, it is singular, personal to you. Ye, that's more general. Like the Lord said to his apostles, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. We have precision that is absolutely wondrous. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It is personal. Not simply general. Others. Oh, there may have been those in your life who professed to be your friend. Then when some hard times come and some cost to being a friend really takes place, they forsake. When some disappointment comes between you and them. When sickness overtakes. Or the passing of time comes to divide interest. They leave you. They forsake you. But your Lord says, I will never leave thee. Nor forsake thee. His faithfulness to his own word and thus to you personally cannot fail. He who says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. He who says, I am thy God is so. 
For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. No, never, no, never, no, never. It's strong. In the Greek. How blessedly personal this promise is. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Hear it. God speaking to you. Instrument. But hear him. It's his word. It's his promise. Hear it in your soul. Hear him promising you, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Personal. And how wondrous. How wondrous to know that from eternity, you who now believe, you who now belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you were personally known by him who said, He calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. Personally, everyone. I can't comprehend fully the gloriousness of God. Things that are higher than we could fully delve into. But I believe that when the Lord Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, he had you before him. He had me before him. I can't comprehend the gloriousness of God that set above the heavens the glory of his character, his attributes that are made known to me in Scripture. I know often in my prayer closet... I got down on my knees before my knees <laughs> prevented me from being able to do so. <laughs> Mary. <clears throat> and now even when I have to go in a different posture in my prayer closet. Often I would talk to the Lord, I can't comprehend thy glory and greatness, everything. He rules it all. He's over everything. He knows everything. He knows all of his own. But I am conversing with him as if he were there with me alone. Do you ever have that? He calleth his own sheep by name. He knew his sheep for whom he laid down his life. The closest human ties are possible of breaking. We live in a horrendous time, of course, when there are those who can make their vows that they're going to stay together and they're going to love one another and they're, they're not going to forsake one another and no matter how bad or difficult or hard things come, you've got my vow and I promise and what happens? It doesn't last very long many times. The closest of human ties are possible of being broken. There are children that will forsake their parents. Isaiah sets forth a very rare thing when Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 15, he says, Can a woman forget her sucking child? that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Well, in Isaiah's day, they didn't have to say that the most murders that were committed in 2022, 42 million of them worldwide, was the murder of unborn babies. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, a woman can be without natural affection. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, but I will not forget thee. I will not forget thee. And if that separation from the closest of ties did not take place in this 
life, it takes place in death. Death does part us in this world. And yet, not even death can, quote, separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I were of another persuasion, I'd be shouting. What glorious truth we have. I'm shouting in my heart. These things are glorious, dear saint. They're wondrous. Then how firm, how constant, without break, is the presence of God with you. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Not for a single instance. Not even in times when you fail to speak about him when you should. Not even in times when you fall and pray to something you shouldn't be doing. He still doesn't forsake you. Peter learned about that. He learned about a love so glorious that it never ceased. When he denied his Lord three times because of the questions of like a little girl, when he loudly had professed, no, I'll go with you to death. And then when he sees his Lord, while he was warming himself at the fire, and his Lord was on the way to the cross, he looked at Peter, and that could not have been a look of Peter, look what you've done to me. No. That was a look to Peter who just denied him three times professing his love. That was a look that said, Peter, I haven't stopped loving you. I still love you. I still love you as much as if you had not denied me. What a love. I'm glad he doesn't love me because of me, or he wouldn't. <laughs> he loves me in spite of me. I don't comprehend that fully. And when you're broken by sin, and you come to see the greatest evil there is, sin against the living God. And he comes to say, by his cross, I love you. I gave myself for you. I took all that you deserved because I want you come to me. What a wondrous Lord. He's still there to take us unto himself without harshly upbraiding us even when our love for him is not what it ought to be. Even when the world's enticements have distracted our heart from him. It's amazing what's taking place today. The subtleties in the media. I mean spiritual subtleties from false religions. Inculcated into the minds of the young people. Keep giving the warning. It's going to destroy them. Unless God has mercy upon them. Because the heart will go after those things. What a glorious thing. You're saying if you're overtaken in a fault. That won't separate you from his love. He'll correct. He'll chasten. But he says, as many as 
I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. He is your advocate in heaven. You remember that study we did in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1? My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And guess what? God imputes his righteousness to you and me who've been called and believed and trust him. He's there, always advocating. Not on the basis of something in us, but on the basis that he died for our sins and rose again. The psalmist said in Psalm 37, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. He upholds because he never leaves, he never forsakes. All that a severe and strict justice may suggest, that surely when you're You've realized you've sinned against him, then you're forsaken. No, you'll be broken because a believer hates sin more than anything else. Still, his promise does not fail. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And there might be this vain thought. Well, if this is true, then doesn't that give me a license to sin? The knowledge of the grace of God that loved you in spite of you will be the one grand truth that causes you to realize he will not cast you away and will give you the greatest motive of love that will recover you. For it's that principle that guides us to keep his commands. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. That's from John chapter 14, verse 21. Even when depressing thoughts come, when the pressures of life seem to be greater than the strength to bear them. When you even doubt of your own salvation, which is possible. Still, this promise remains intact. It's the same. Because God is the same. No matter our changing moods. What a word in 2 Timothy 2.13, I think it is. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. That's not talking about not trusting in Christ. That's talking about not trusting God in this matter of day by day living in this world. Still, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Let this promise this promise that is impossible of failure. Let it lift you up. Let it bring you again to realize how firm it is. That God is true to his word. That underneath remains the everlasting arms. Never is either our salvation or God's promises based upon our feelings. Only upon his truthfulness and faithfulness to his own word. That word of salvation. If you come as a needy, broken sinner with a contrite heart and you look to him and his cross alone as your only salvation, and you believe and you trust him, you'll be saved. 
Why? Because he gives promise. Look unto me. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me. What? I will in no wise cast out. And then every promise, every promise is then confirmed to you, all of them. The big ones, all things work together for good. That's yours. Every promise then is yours. Because Christ is your head. And you live in Him. And all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him, amen, under the glory of God by us. Even in a temporary sense. Even in a temporary sense, we're not to trust in riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Riches can put you in a great trial. It's a temptation to rest in things and what we have. But here is the true antidote to covetousness. The desire upon things and the hoarding up of the things of this world. And the discontent that may come when you see someone having more than you have. Because he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Have all besides, and have not Christ, guess what you have. Guess in the final analysis what you really have. If you have everything in this world, whatever it affords, but Christ, you have nothing. You're poverty stricken. Be poor, even in this world's good. Struggle, but have Christ. And you have everything. Everything. And you have a glorious promise. I will never leave thee. Nor forsake thee. And so. You can face life with faith's purpose. To put first. Foremost. Above everything. His kingdom and righteousness. And the Lord says, you won't need to worry about tomorrow. He who knows every sparrow, he who provides for the birds of the air, will supply without need all you need, without uh, uh, fail, all you need to serve him. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. And whatever he's put into your hands is to be for his glory. And to glorify him with. Believe him. Trust him. Give up yourself to him. To be an instrument of his glory. Because he hath said... I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. You know where you find true riches? You find true riches in contentment. You don't have to worry about the stock market. You don't have to worry about the riches that can fly away tomorrow. You can have them today, they can be gone tomorrow. That's in Psalm 50, the psalmist said, if riches increase, don't put your heart on them. God might prosper you. But if he does, make use of it for his glory and his honor. True riches are to be found in something Scripture calls contentment. We live in a discontented world, don't we? Contentment. Contentment is more valuable than all the possessions you could ever have in this world. And if you are truly satisfied with him who said, I will never leave thee, 
nor forsake thee. Then you'll learn the same blessed truth the Apostle Paul found that brought him true contentment, whatever condition he found himself in, in this world. I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And you know what he, in the midst of his trials and whatever he suffered, you know what he exhorted? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And when his time came to leave this world, he said, I'm ready. I'm ready to be offered. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, he'd said earlier. The Lord is in control. The Lord promises, I'm not going to leave you. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Do you not find that a grand and glorious promise? Let's sing hymn, is it 80? 81. 80. Hymn 80.